We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Ross Feingold. Good evening. And on the telephone by Jia Ting Ye of Katagalan Media. Good to be here. Tonight we'll be discussing the upcoming Taipei-Shanghai Twin City Forum, the President's meetings with the Mayors-elect of the six special municipalities, Sun Anzor's return to Taiwan following his deportation from the United States, security concerns over Huawei Tech and Taiwan Google Search. But we'll begin with internationally acclaimed baker Wu Baochun, who was metaphorically baked by people on both sides of the Taiwan Strait this week after he found himself and a cross-strait spat over the opening of his first store in China. Wu's woes began, though, some years ago when he dismissed speculation that he actually planned to open any stores in China. And at that time, that resulted in Chinese netizens accusing him of being pro-Taiwan independence, also describing his baked goods as Taiwan independence bread. However, his first China store in Shanghai had its soft opening this week, and it's due, in fact, to open properly next week. And, well, those comments reappeared, and Wu was forced to say that he's not political, is only a humble baker, but he also went on to tell the press in Taiwan that he was born in Taiwan, China, and he supports the 1992 consensus, which, needless to say, resulted in his being slammed by people here in Taiwan at the cost of making new friends on the opposite side of the Taiwan Strait. President Tsai Ing-wen says that she doesn't blame Wu for his comments, as she's fully aware that they are results of China's political oppression of Taiwan. However, the government has come under fire, with opposition lawmakers and Pam Blue-leaning daily newspapers accusing the DPP of oh, cheering on Wu when he dismissed the China market two years ago, but abandoning him when he was forced to say what he did this week solely and simply for business purposes. Ross? Well, it depends on one's own political views and who one wants to get mad at. What I mean is... Some people uh, here in Taiwan reacted angrily to uh, what the baker said, Mr. Wu, in the aftermath of this and specifically his support for the 92 consensus. Uh, But the key words there, I think, are some people. Because if we look at past examples of these situations where a, a business or an entertainer, because this frequently comes up in the entertainment world, gets into these situations, they make statements that show how much they love China and believe that Taiwan is part of China. And the the number of people in Taiwan who seem upset about this are very small, and there are no long-term repercussions for the company or the entertainer who makes these statements. So we don't see a popular anger or, or rejection, boycott, in any large numbers towards companies or entertainers who take these views. And and yeah, we know that they they say these things because uh, they want to make money in China. Uh, So that brings me to the next potential target for for anger uh, would be President Tsai's comments, because she she took this view, well, it's, it's because of China's political oppression. But as the president of Taiwan, one could also say that it's certainly appropriate for her to criticize Mr. Wu and and say this you're from Taiwan and I don't agree with the way you have framed or described Taiwan China relations and we want people from Taiwan to stand up for Taiwan and be proud and 
even if that comes at the cost of uh, your potential revenues in China, will help you grow your business in Taiwan or elsewhere. So uh, I'm a bit uh, disappointed in the reaction uh, from the government if it's to say, oh, well, it's all because of oppression. I think we should be finding ways to encourage Taiwanese as individuals or companies to withstand that kind of pressure, again, even if it comes at the cost of doing business in uh, in in China. And uh, then I guess the last person who you'd want to, or, or one more person to turn your anger to would obviously be Mr. Wu himself. And uh, well, which is it, sir? Do you want to be in China or not? And do you believe Taiwan is a part of China or not? Uh, the, he seems to be all over the place. Uh, also, probably as a shortcoming of his public relations and corporate communications teams, uh, but doesn't seem to have handled the situation very well himself, which is surprising because not only are there so many previous examples for companies to learn from, but we even had one this year with uh, the the coffee chain uh, 85C, uh, which was in a similar situation and then also made a similar statement in the aftermath. So corporate leaders and individuals uh, who are in the news, entertainers, they also need to do a better job of positioning themselves uh, to manage these situations. Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, agree. I mean, it's, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business calculation, right? Um, if I want to, are the profits I'm going to make in China going, you know, by, um, you know, sort of saying, coming out and saying this, right, as the, the profits I'm going to gain by doing this more than the profits I'm going to lose um, by people being angry in Taiwan. And I think, um, you know, as Ross said, there hasn't really been this, um, you know, very successful boycott or sort of backlash, you know, sort of a consumer market backlash for uh, companies that do this, right? Um, so, you know, most of the most of the anger that we see expressed are, you know, people sort of venting on social media and, you know, kind of at that level of, you know, just kind of voicing their opinions and displeasure about this. But, um, you know, our pe- people, you know, people always say they're going to boycott, right? But, like, the truth is we just haven't seen, um, you know, sort of a sustained effort to, um, you know, boycott or bring, actually bring down enterprises that have um, very clearly sided with, um, you know, China, right? So, you know, people still um, purchase Wang Wang uh, products, for example, right? Um, but I think the other side of this is, um, I mean, this is sort of the, the cost of doing business in China these days, right? Um, you know, I think the anti has definitely been up, right? So um, this year we saw the, air, the airline um, name change. Um, uh Incident right where um, airlines have to change how they list Taiwan on their websites, and hotels have to change how they list Taiwan on their websites. And so, you know, I think this is sort of the new reality. And I'm pretty sure, you know, the decision to come out with this press uh, release was definitely affected. Um, you know, was definitely informed by what happened to 85 degrees C, right? And so, um, you know, I think this is sort of a um, a newer reality that you know, people have to kind of people really have to take into consideration. I mean, do you think the government should have done more to support him, though? Um, I think the, I think President Tsai, I think, is trying to, you know, not give off an impression that, you know, she's trying to help or she's trying to um, get involved in, um, in specific cases. Um, but I think it is, um, I would agree as well that her response is pretty passive. 
right? She's basically saying, well, you know, people in Taiwan individually, they have the right to express whatever views they do, right? But then we all know this is more than just his personal opinions, right? This is about market structure. This is about profitability, right? If, um, you know, the incentives, if they're not as in, as much incentives for people to expand into the Chinese market, right, would um, this be as big of a problem, right? Would people encounter these things as often? Um, I mean, I'm not sure what the answer to that is specifically, but, um, you know, yeah, I think the government should have come out and, you know, have something that's a little bit more proactive than just saying, well, you know, people are free to do whatever they want. I mean, yes, that's true, but, you know, the government, we also want the government to lead in certain cases, right? And so I think this is one of those things. Well, the the key in what Jay Ting said is is proactive and to a lesser extent lead, because even if the government had reacted in one of the ways that I had suggested, saying, you know, we're going to protect this Taiwan company, we'll help you find business opportunities elsewhere, that still would have been reactive, right? It would have been in the aftermath of the public anger, the netizens' anger in China, and then the public statements by uh, Mr. Wu. Uh, so we, we would be better off if there was a, a program uh, within government, whether public or private, something behind the scenes that could be uh, implemented now before the next incident occurs to impact uh, corporates. Uh, uh, and uh, ultimately, though, this is a private sector decision. Do you want to make money in China or in Taiwan? But uh, if the government does see its role as protecting Taiwan's uh, autonomy and uh, furthering the message worldwide that Taiwan is separate from China, and also if government sees its role, which it normally does, sees its role as helping Taiwan companies develop their businesses, not just within Taiwan, but outside Taiwan, then they really do need a a better program that is in operation on an ongoing basis to help companies uh, manage these situations. Right, moving on. And the annual Shanghai Taipei Twin City Forum begins next week here in Taipei. And apparently 135 members of the Chinese city will be attending this year's event. Not members of the Chinese city, but a delegation from said Chinese city. Now, the Chinese delegation is being led by Shanghai Executive Vice Mayor Zhou Bo, who apparently is participating on behalf of Shanghai Mayor Ying Yong, who is reportedly unable to attend because of a tight schedule. Anyway, the Deputy Mayor or the Vice Mayor, whatever you want to call him, We'll be meeting with Taipei Mayor Ko Wen-je, who of course famously put his foot in his mouth at a previous Twin City forum and his one family comment, well, that resulted in his being shunned by the DPP, supporters of whom, of course, were instrumental in putting him into office four years ago. But that's, of course, not the case this time around, as the results of last month's election showed. Now, the forum, of course, has been alternatively held between the two cities since 2010, and a Taipei City government spokesperson said the main focus of the forum will be on issues related to the circular economy, culture, environmental protection and urban renovation. So, Ross, the Twin City Forum in Taipei this time? I'll tell you who cares. Talking heads like us on radio or on TV. So we could expect lots of commentators, the usual suspects, professors, legislators, city councilors, given that this involves Taipei City and Shanghai City, uh, to be on TV in the coming days around uh, the time of this event, debating it, debating whether America has taken China's side, uh, debating whether or not this event should even be held. Is it some kind of united front 
secret project of China, even though it's all out in the open. So I don't know what 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 could be secret about it. Um, but the, do the people really care? The, and specifically, the people who live in Taipei City, uh, probably not. The, there, there's unlikely to be any outcomes of this event that uh, impacts people's day-to-day lives. So the talk about circular economy and the other topics that you mentioned. No great policy ideas are going to come out of this forum that are going to dramatically change our lives here in Taipei. In fact, the the mayor, the incumbent, was just reelected, even though by a small margin. So it appears that the public is, uh, or at least a sufficient number of the public, are, are happy with the way he's running the city, and he doesn't need ideas from Shanghai. Uh, so... This, in many ways, is similar to the periodic visits of officials, elected officials, or party officials, KMT specifically, or sometimes Song Shuyu, James Song, uh, to China, where the the talking heads, the pundits, get really excited, and they're they're looking for what the visitor, the VIP, says with regard to cross-strait relations, and do they change the framework? Do they take a, a... 10-second pause between two words or add a comma, and then people, some people lose their minds over such things. Uh, so however America frames the cross-strait relationship, if he does so in, in a public speech at this event or when meeting uh, the, the deputy mayor of Shanghai, there are going to be people who criticize him. Does it have any practical impact on uh, cross-strait relations or Taipei City? Almost zero. Yeah, I, I think if you survey, you know, people living in Taipei, you know, does this forum, you know, would Taipei City be completely different, you know, without this forum? I think, you know, everybody would go, you know, like the only reason why we know about this forum is because of the controversial things that um, people, you know, of the way that things people said at events such as these become controversial because all the talking heads are talking about it, as Ross said, right? I mean, I think um, it, it does provide, um, you know, political entertainment for people who do listen to shows like ours and, you know, watch uh, TV, you know, TV shows on TV. Um, but in, in, I think it, people who do care about these things, are, you know, they will be watching to see, you know, what the interaction um, is you know if people do say something that's kind of out of the ordinary you know and what you know so the meta story is you know how people are going to be interpreted uh, interpreting those things right um, I'll put I'll put you on the spot there Jay Ting you, do you think uh, uh, America is going to announce a new conception of cross strait relations as a precursor to running oh, no, for president no I don't I don't I don't think so I mean I, with, with America I think there's always a slight chance that he might say something that nobody expects, right? But no, I, I, I think if he is, if he, if he has, a, you know, his, his, his head straight in the game, I don't think he's going to say anything groundbreaking or anything that, you know, could be construed as groundbreaking. I mean, I, I will just say, I'm sure um, people are talking about the fact that the mayor himself, the Shanghai mayor is not coming, but the vice mayor is coming, right? And, you know, I could see somebody saying, well, you know, you have a tight schedule. Well, I guess Taipei is not, important enough for you to move things around in your schedule, right? So I'm sure that's, you know, going to have some people talking. Right now, of course, Ross, now that we do you think Hang Yu could pop up on the high-speed rail for a day? Well, j- just like Jay Ting said, that anything's possible with something that America says, and, and we know that in, in public forums, 
uh, or meeting VIP visitors. He sometimes does that. Uh, similarly, Han Guoyu uh, is obviously someone who is willing to make uh, bold moves or, or statements. Uh, from a political perspective, I don't see any value added to, to him doing that. If he asked me, I would recommend against it simply because it's an event about Shanghai and Taipei. It's not an event about Kaohsiung. And his focus needs to be on Kaohsiung and delivering for the voters the things that he said he would deliver, um, given the expectation that he doesn't have a very long honeymoon period. Uh, he, he, he could visit China anytime, theoretically subject to approvals and uh, working out an itinerary with the Chinese side. I, I, I would tell him, to, don't, don't show up and try and get your own event, whether it's in Kaohsiung or or going or flying over, um, that that's probably more beneficial, not not just for him personally, but actually to the extent, and I know we've been saying these events don't have much value, but to the extent that these events do matter for the, the residents of these cities, uh, he's not going to help the residents of Kaohsiung by coming up to Shanghai. And, and frankly, unlike Taipei City, Kaohsiung, and, and specifically Mayor-elect Han, did run, he campaigned on improving or increasing economic interaction between uh, Kaohsiung City and China. So he, if he wants to get more uh, orders from China for Kaohsiung City produce, fruits, vegetables, or he wants to get uh, some kind of large official organization like a tourist promotion or travel organizations in China to agree to send more tour groups to Kaohsiung, uh, that, that's actually a takeaway you know, a real practical takeaway that he's trying to achieve from from China as far as the city's relations with China. And he's not going to achieve that by being, you know, the second Taiwan mayor, right, less priority at a Shanghai Taipei forum if he shows up. So uh, I hope he doesn't. Um, but uh, I also hope that he takes actions to fulfill his campaign promises because uh, I, in a democracy, I, I believe that politicians who run on certain promises uh, should achieve them or, or try to achieve them where they should get dumped in the next election. Let's move on from that issue and talk about another issue that affects the central and local governments, that being President Tsai Ing-wen. Well, she began meeting with the mayors-elect of the country's six special municipalities this week. And while well, on Thursday she held talks with Taipei Mayor Ke Wen-je, which focused on cooperation between the central and city government on major development projects in the capital. The talks, well, they took place at the Taipei Post Office, which is a rather old building near the older North Gate, which, of course, was seen as the centre of an urban renewal project undertaken by the city government Undercur. Now, one of the issues up for discussion was the Taipei Dome. Another issue up for discussion was the Scherzer Dow Island issue. And, well, they seemed to get on when they were talking, but the photos in the newspapers said another thing where there wasn't many smiles. So, Jieting, these meetings with the mayors, do you think anything will come of it? Or is she just trying to pave the way for a smooth administration dealing with the local governments, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, again, I think um, to the to the general public, these meetings are, you know, they're they're supposed to be routine, right? And they're supposed to be, you know, let's hash out some of the you know more technical details about policy and execution, and you know, let's get on with it, right? But you know, in such a sort of a charged political environment um, as we have today, right? People are going to be reading tea leaves, right? People are going to be reading, looking for signs of, you know, what's the interaction between Mayor Ke between. Um, uh, President Tai, right, and then there's also, you know, with all the the other uh, mayors elect of um, 
the major the the other five metropolitan areas, right? Um, you have surprise, um, well, you know, sort of uh, KMT um, candidates coming into office in Taichung and Kaohsiung, replacing DPP um, incumbents, right? And then you have um, the Taoyuan mayor who is, you know, looking pretty strong in the party um, as compared to Taiwan right now. So there's a lot of sort of political um, inferences that I think people are going to be um, looking for. Well, we knew going into the election that if America was to be reelected, that there was going to be tensions between the city government and the central government, keeping in mind the history that the DPP had endorsed America four years ago decided not to endorse him. Uh, a lot of, uh, or an increasing amount of back and forth verbal attacks between DPP personalities and America or, or the personalities around him, people in his administration over the course of 2018. So a lot of tension there. And uh, we talked about this, Gavin, on election day, uh, that if he were to win, it, it doesn't, uh, the outlook isn't good for uh, cooperation between the Taipei city government and the central government because of uh, the events of this year and the potential that America might decide to run for president. Until he rules that out beyond any doubt, then the central government is going to view him suspiciously. They're certainly not going to look to help him with any policy execution, at least in the first few months of this year, or sorry, next year. And that, that's very unfortunate for the residents. Uh, and to a lesser extent, the, the same applies with the other uh, newly elected KMT mayors. Uh, the, the, the government, the central government, is not looking to hand them any any great policy victories uh, in the first few months of 2019. Not Mayor Ho in, in Taip, New Taipei, or certainly not Mayor Han in in Kaohsiung, um, the, or the Mayor, Mayor Liu in Taichung. Yeah, these these are the political opposites. Some might even say the political enemies of the central government. So uh, it, it's going to be pretty difficult uh, having uh, the interaction between the central government and, and these city governments that are led by uh, either America and Independent or KMT mayors. Uh, maybe the central government will focus its efforts on Taidan, which did elect a DPP mayor, or of course Taoyuan. But only just. Uh, Tainan uh, is still important to the hearts of the central government, as long as William Lai remains the premier, given that he's the former mayor of Tainan and has a personal uh, interest in seeing that policies that he began to implement during his successful tenure continue to be implemented by his successor, uh, um, Huang Huang Weizhe from, from the DPP. Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And the Taiwanese student deported from the United States on firearms charges has been questioned at the Sherlin District Prosecutor's Office following his arrival at Taoyuan International Airport Tuesday evening. Now, Swin Anzwa arrived in Taiwan on a United Airlines flight from San Francisco, if you needed to know that fact, at around 8pm. But he was met at the airport by officials from the Aviation Police Department and the Criminal Investigation Bureau. Apparently, he voluntarily agreed to go to the prosecutor 
prosecutor's office, where he was questioned for around 80 minutes. He was released without bail, but he was banned from travelling overseas and he must remain at his parents' residence pending further investigation. Now, the prosecutor's office has said they could charge Sun, who's 18 years old, with additional charges here in Taiwan related to his convictions in the United States. So, Jieting, obviously you followed this story because you're in the United States. I mean, he's been deported back here. Should he face charges? Should he not face charges? Um, I, like, right this moment, I can't imagine, um, you know, anything serious serious or substantive that they will, you know, they would charge him with, right? Because most of the actions that um, he had been convicted on in the United States. Um, most of those actions happened in the United States, um, so I can't really imagine what um, you know serious charges they can charge him with. Um, I mean, although it, he it, it is sort of a higher profile case, right? Because his parents are um, you know celebrities, and so I think um, you know whether or not there's something that's sort of um, in the more optical. Or sort of more, you know, public relations type of, um, you know, intention that the government may want to, you know, do. I mean, I just, I, I just, I just don't know if there's much more to the story, really. The likelihood that he's committed a crime in Taiwan while he was in uh, detention in the United States is pretty low. So th- th- this probably is, as Jay Ting said, uh, a PR exercise. Uh, obviously, Taiwan. Uh, nationals get arrested uh, around the world for various crimes periodically, and eventually they return to Taiwan. That um, they are not all detained and questioned and, and given restrictions uh, upon their return to Taiwan. So it probably does arise from the fact that uh, this case uh, received so much media attention, given that his parents are celebrities. Uh, so that would be a rather stupid. Pardon my. Uh, frank language, use of police and prosecutorial resources to question him and detain him simply because his parents are celebrities and that he had uh, a criminal case in the United States. Uh, I mean, Gavin, I'll I'll ask you, you, we know with your extensive criminal history, uh, have you ever been uh, detained when you came back to Taiwan for something you did wrong overseas? I mean, it's completely illogical. (laughs) Yeah, Jetting, you, obviously you watched this case evolve in the States. I mean, what did you think about it as it was evolving? Um, I mean, I think it was um, just even from a purely American standpoint, right? It was sort of a shocking or, you know, slightly disturbing news, right? Because, you know, gun violence and, you know, especially um, gun control, gun violence and mass shootings, you know, there's such a... Um, you know, it's such a big topic um, in the United States um, for good reason, right? And so when Taiwan is sort of mixed up in this, um, you know, there's a sort of this added level of, well, okay, so just purely American, from a purely American perspective, you know, whatever, you know, it's it's a gun case, right? It's, a, it's, it's um, you know, either you want to talk about gun control or um, mental health or, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, topics that related to the debate in the United States. But then, you know, it's like, well, he just happens to be from Taiwan, right? Like, does that, I mean, I, does that necessarily have to color U.S.-Taiwan relations? Um, I would like to think um, he, you know, is not, you know, such an important person that, um, 
that that would happen, right? That U.S.-Taiwan relations would kind of hinge or be affected by, you know, one particular criminal case. And the head of the Public Construction Commission this week called for equipment manufactured by Huawei Technologies to be removed from all government procurement. And there were also calls by lawmakers to completely block the use of all Huawei products on the island. But the government is rejecting that move. Now, of course, the Huawei issue was debated several years ago, but the latest calls for a Huawei ban come after an article by Taiwan-based cybersecurity expert Kitch Liao appeared in the US magazine The National Interest, in which Liao said that Huawei built back doors into its hardware that could enable both espionage and sabotage. And I spoke with Kitch about the dangers that Chinese tech poses to Taiwan's public and private sectors. So, Kitch, just how dangerous is Chinese technology to Taiwan? Oh, well, Gavin, um, the Chinese technology we're talking about is not just the technology. You have to uh, perceive the entire thing as, you know, as basically part of uh, the entire infrastructure of how Chinese treat their, treat their enterprises in general. So Huawei is not just one company and not ju- it's not just one, techno- one piece of technology, but, you know, the solution they employ, the network configuration they employ are inherently unsafe. I mean, why is that? Uh, it's inherently unsafe because, um, first of all, it's, it's, uh, it has two different aspects. First of all, um, it, this is well known that uh, Huawei, as you know, as a Chinese company, was actually um, very uh, susceptible to CCP influence. They are funded by the POA, and uh, you know there has been cases where uh, where they found basically you know, Huawei employees were actually working on behalf of Chinese intelligence. Now, uh, in terms of the technical aspects, basically there's been too many cases of where vulnerabilities are found within the Huawei network system and their hardware. And so, you know, uh, we have two conclusions, either that this was deliberate, so the Chinese government is actually uh, behind this, or this is unintentional, which reveals Huawei's incompetence. Obviously, if it's intentional, you're saying that Huawei builds the back doors into its hardware, which enable espionage and sabotage. The thing is, um, basically, Huawei's price is very competitive if you're looking at this from a business perspective. But, of course, the reason is that, you know, being such a competitive company has its drawbacks. For example, Huawei is a private company. I don't think most people understand that it's not public traded. So they are not obligated to disclose their financial uh, report to anybody, which means we don't actually know whether they're making money or not. So the company could be simply being used to get into other people's lives in other countries? Now, I'm not saying that is the case because, you know, there's too many people involved and the company actually has a huge presence in most countries. So to say that the country is not making money entirely, that would not be accurate. But what I'm saying is, like, uh, we don't actually know the entire picture of how they actually receive their funding, you know, what, what influenced their decision-making process. But what we do know is because of their presence in China, because of their ownership in China, they are subjected to all sorts of laws and regulations, which would, at times, obligate them to actually provide venues and sources to Chinese intelligence. What could they do to Taiwan? Obviously, if government agencies have Huawei phones or telecommunications network adapters, etc., what could they learn from government agencies here? What they can do, if the Chinese government were to use Huawei equipment without proper hardware and software um, auditing, as well as you know, a careful examination of all contracting equipment that might you know, be uh, delegated to Huawei manufacturer, 
is that we're providing an additional risk into our hardware and software system within the government that the Chinese could, could search for, the Chinese cyber you know, actors could search for and then exploit. Right, but do you think Taiwan should literally think about banning Huawei or ZTE products? For the government, uh, definitely yes, because most countries in the world, most large countries in the world, and most of them are allies, have already considered the combination of hardware and software, um, and basically, you know, um, the Huawei company structure and how they operate constitute a huge risk that just cannot, you know, cannot be accepted by most governments. However, you know, we are a democratic country, so that means that um, Huawei cannot be banned as a company to operate within Taiwan. That would not be democratic. If the government did decide to remove most all Huawei things or ZTE things from government procurement programs, etc., national companies, state companies, etc., how much would it cost the government to change? Now, this would actually not be an additional cost to the government, per se, because what they need to do anyway is beefing up the entire process of procurement, contracting, and auditing process. But what about the stuff that's already in place? The stuff that's already in place would need to be actually um, examined if they were not in in the beginning. For example, um, the E-157, I believe, the network adapters that was uh, reported to be utilized by the MJIB, um, that was actually a Huawei manufacturer, but the, but the problem was not so much that it was a Huawei manufacturer. It was that because the closed network and the configuration should actually undergoing like additional testing and additional um, laboratory um, examination to make sure that you know it's not actually it, it's not vulnerable. What about we talked about the government? What about private companies here? Does Huawei pose a, a threat to them? Um, we have to look at this from an intention perspective and also, you know, how connected this company is to the government. Now, um, most people don't think they're important enough, and most private companies have this view that they are not connected with the government, with the military, so they should, they, they should not be aware of this. They don't have to take extra precautions in terms of security. But the truth is, you know, we are all connected. You know, I know you, and you may know another, you know, people who works in the government, and the lower the lower part of the government links back up to the central part of the government fairly fast. So I would recommend, you know, in terms of private companies, if their security measure is not up to standards, that means they become a leak. They become, you know, one of the um, they become one of the attack services that future cyber actors could access in order to reach the government and the military. I mean, what about the regular Joe Blow, the public and their Huawei phones? I mean, are these Huawei phones a danger to the general public or doesn't, wouldn't it really affect members of the general public here? Well, if you're talking about personally, if, you know, you, if people being careless about their privacy and their security, they could, of course, say, like, I don't care the Chinese have my data. I don't care it's backed up somewhere that, you know, one, one day... I, I started to getting know someone one of these days, you know, um, I suddenly become important and then the Chinese could just fish out all my data that they store somewhere and use that against me. This has happened uh, in multiple instances and it doesn't even have to be very important. It could be your girlfriend, it could be your wife, it could be one of your friend was, you know, um, doing business in China, transiting through China and somehow um, got on the wrong side of the law. But I heard that's very easy for an authoritarian country. And then the next time you try to apply for your visa, something's going to pop in their system. I mean, you wouldn't recommend anyone buys a Huawei mobile phone? 
Um, I would not say just Huawei. I would say, like, basically for most of the uh, Chinese manufacturer equipment, you will want to take a second look at it. You will want to actually, you know, try to dig deeper than what you usually do, you know. When we buy phones, we compare specs, we compare um, price, we compare, you know, um, how easy it is to get to, to get this fixed. But I would want to add an additional um, aspect, an additional dimension to how you choose your phone. Consider the security risks. There are many uh, security experts, hardware, software security experts out there that could provide individual assessment of each new models, you know. Do some, uh, conduct some due diligence of your own before you make the decision. That was me in conversation with cybersecurity specialist Kitch Liao. And before we go today, it's that time of year once again when Google Search releases its most popular keywords used by netizens here in Taiwan for the year, and 2018's was the Chinese language term for Football World Cup. That was followed by the story of Yanxi Palace, Earthquake, Sports Lottery and Central Election Commission. The Chinese language terms for referendums, Hanguoyu and vote counting were also high on the list of the most popular keyword searches. So did you search for any of those words then, Ross? Well, I'll confess to doing some searches about the election on election day and subsequent to that. Uh, but there aren't really any shocking surprises there on that list, uh, given that it was a World Cup year. Um, it's unfortunate that Taiwan's own soccer program is such a near disaster that they were not even close to participating. So uh, netizens in Taiwan are simply searching about other countries, which is, a, as I said, it's an unfortunate outcome. Um, yeah, I, I think the most interesting uh, result is actually um, Chinese TV dramas um, being very high on the list, right? So basically, if you look at the list, you know, if you oh, kind of humor me a little bit and see it as a sort of microcosm of what's going on in the minds of the Taiwanese public, right? So it's basically elections, sports, and TV palace TV shows from China, right? This is what people are watching. Um, I don't know. If you kind of add those things together, it doesn't paint a very optimistic picture for, uh, you know, Taiwan's uh, electoral politics and democracy, I would would say, right? Well, but Jating, it almost almost sounds like you'd prefer to see the list have like F-35 destroyers and a whole whole bunch of military equipment. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, uh, that, I think that would cause me to worry for other reasons, right? But I, I think it's it's just that, um, you know, the, these um, Chinese TV dramas are, are, so, are so popular in Taiwan um, and with you know, Taiwanese communities. I mean, a lot of my friends watch them. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying they're directly connected to the politics of Ch- Taiwan and China, right? But, you know, this is, you know, we were kind of looping back to the first story, right? Um, you know, on the one hand, where if the people who are criticizing, well, Baochun, you know, he goes to China, open up a bakery, and you know, he kind of has to toe the Chinese kind of official line, right? But then yet, people are very happily consuming um, these media cultural products from China, right? So, um, I mean, it, it is, it is. I, I think it's just kind of thought provoking to think about it. Earthquake as well was on the list, and so was sports lottery. So gambling and rattling and wobbling. There we go. I certainly didn't search for any of those things. Well, what did you search for, Gavin? That's none of your business. Only that's that's between me. That's between me and Google. So, so you're, you're, you're and my internet provider. Yeah, it's a different. <laughs> it, it's a different list that Google's not publicly sharing. You're topping that one.
Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week here on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And on the telephone by Jie Tingye. Have a good weekend too. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.